1: Hey, this is Philip Stutz, author of Fire Them Now, The Seven Lies Digital Marketers Sell. And if you want to learn the networking secrets of the ultra successful, you should be listening to Build Your Network podcast with my good friend, Travis Chapel.
0: Welcome back to the show. I believe that who you know is more important than what you know. If you agree, then keep on listening for tips on how to cultivate meaningful connections the right way. If you disagree, then tune in anyway to let me prove you wrong with my journey. My name is Travis Chappell, and this is the Build Your Network podcast. Hey, what's up? Welcome back to the Build Your Network podcast. Today, I am bringing you an interview with Mr. Philip Stutz. Philip is the author of the book, Fire Them Now, It's an Amazon bestseller, and he's one of the masterminds behind the curtain of political marketing. With more than 20 years of political marketing experience, Stutz has worked with multiple Fortune 200 companies, and he has over two decades of experience working on campaigns with billions of dollars in political ad spend. And he's contributed to over 1,000 election victories, including hundreds of US House campaigns, dozens of US Senate campaigns, and even three US presidential victories. Now he's the founder and CEO of Two startups. Marketing agencies, Go Big Media, which is a political marketing firm, and Win Big Media, which is a corporate marketing firm. So, this guy and I have a lot of things in common because everything that he talks about on how to build a business the right way comes down to relationships. So him and I get into some really great topics of discussion, including persuasion strategies from high-level political campaigns, some ninja stuff, some tactics that he used while he was doing those types of things, and when he currently does those types of things for all the people that he helps out in their political campaigns. We also talk about how he took his company, um, his marketing agency, from zero dollars to twenty million in revenue in just four short years, and he is completely debt free in that business. And we also talk about how to know if the marketer that you're working with is doing a good job. So, so many tactical, practical strategies in this episode, and I cannot wait to get into all of them with you guys. But before we do, as most of you know, my network has absolutely exploded in the last year and a half. And when people ask me how I've been able to do it, the number one answer I give them is through my podcast. If I did not start Build Your Network, there is no chance I would know as many awesome people as I do now. It's the perfect credibility vehicle and value adding excuse to connect with the people that you want to connect with the most. I highly recommend starting your own podcast. But if you do that, make sure you do it the right way. Last I heard 90% of podcasters never make it past episode seven. So if you want to be on the right side of that statistic, do what I did and do what every other successful podcaster that I know has done. Hire a coach that's been there, done that, can walk you through the process. And yes, that is something that I do. In the last few months, I've helped a few people get their shows off the ground, and I'd love to do the same for you. So, if any of this resonates with you, then head on over to buildyournetwork.co slash coaching to apply. I only accept a couple people at a time because I don't want anyone lost in the process. There's a lot of different things that we cover. And I'm only going to be helping 10 people total before I shut the whole thing down. It's very, very time intensive and it takes a lot of effort on my part. So, it's not something that I can do forever. So, be sure to apply over at build networkco slash coaching. And we will chat really soon. And for now, here is my interview with Philip Stutz. Philip, what is up, man? Welcome to the show. Super, super excited
1: to have you on. Oh, this is my honor. I, I'm a big fan of pod and Travis, uh, this is going to be a lot of fun. And thank you so much for having me really honored.
0: Yeah, of course. I, I want to get into some really good networking stuff with you because I know that that topic is something that you and I definitely have in common because you've built an insane network of people around you. But first, let's kind of build some context here for those people out there listening. And uh, let's take it back to the beginning. You obviously have some crazy marketing chops now, but how did you get started with all that? Was it college, experience, internships? Kind of walk me through that whole process. No, I
1: was, the, I was probably the, the worst work ever. Uh, in college, I didn't do really anything but go to school and, and drink. But I really, I went to the University of Alabama. And really, all I really cared about was like college football and politics, even though I didn't do anything. I was kind of always read. I was a Political science minor in college. And so, when my 150 pound five foot nine frame wasn't going to measure up in, uh, in, in any kind of athletic venue, I decided to put everything into going into politics. And so, about 22, 23 years ago, I moved uh, to San Diego from Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and worked on a, a presidential convention and just what i'd say is i got the bug it's hard to describe when you work in politics if you don't know working in politics i'll give it like this and this is going to be a little extreme but literally this is what we talk about in politics all the time it's like smoking crack know you have to get off the drug it's like you know you can't work on politics your whole life because it's twenty four seven. there are no days off i went three years at one point with like 20 total days off in three years and the second the campaign ends because you're fighting for things that are purpose-driven and things you believe in and people you believe in and when the campaign gets done you go thank god almighty i am never going back to that i am done with it and about two weeks later you go you know I I think I got to get back on one of those things again. And it just, it's just like going back to the pipe. And so that's the only way to describe it. And I did this for for about 10 years before I started companies that helped political candidates run for office. That's sort of the background. I worked on uh, and ran Senate races and governor races and congressional races and worked on three winning presidential campaigns, all doing political marketing. And then I did that for candidates for years and years. And then I had this crazy buddy of mine who's an entrepreneur, and he is a a huge land developer out in Hawaii. And he said, I love politics. I wonder if what you guys do on the marketing side could help my business. And he had spent $50,000 on marketing for this land development that he was putting together, trying to sell houses in a neighborhood in Hawaii. Spent $50,000 and had one lead. And Yeah, and so we came in and, and applied political principles to his marketing. And he gave us 7,500 bucks and we ended up getting him 750 leads. And they were good leads uh, as opposed to one bad lead. And we just targeted his customer base like we targeted voters and we did research on them and we communicated in a way that they wanted to be communicated to because we followed the data. And that's what we do with voters is we follow the data and that I would just went, my God, this is really something interesting. So then that led me to interview a hundred people, a hundred CEOs for my book And all of them had this massive frustration that the digital marketing space is a scam in all of their heads. And so I decided, when I saw that, I said, you know, we're doing something in politics that's a little bit different. And this is in alignment with your show, Travis, which is we are building personal relationships with voters and using our marketing to reinforce that relationship. And our candidates go out and knock on doors. They go walk in parades, they do town halls, they get to know the voters, they use their status as a point to build even a stronger relationship. And then we market to reinforce that. And when we apply that to businesses, we've had unbelievable growth. And so that's sort of the genesis of everything.
0: This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Travis. Just go to Indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Uh, So how does that differ from what most marketers are doing? So you said that, hey, we have this little bit of a different approach and we actually build relationships with the people who we're trying to target. You would think that that would be really like the overarching theme of most marketing campaigns, but sounds like that's definitely not how it is. So what would you say most people are doing and why do you think that what you do works so much better than what others do?
1: Yeah, there was a Yale study that came out recently. that said in, uh, in politics, if you use political marketing to voters that don't typically vote and, and undecided about a certain political race, it typically takes about seven contacts in some marketing mechanism or platform, or various platforms to get them, to convince them to vote for your candidate. Tony Robbins has a great stat that in today's digital market space and the business side, it's like 16 contacts. It's much harder. 16 contacts. That's crazy. Yeah, on different platforms. It's so much harder. If you really think about it, it's so much harder to get someone to vote for an unknown or an unsavory candidate for office than it is to get someone to buy a tube of toothpaste. So what is it? What do we do that's different? 98% of marketers right now out there are selling business owners that they need to run Facebook ads, SEO, we need to put some stuff up and all that stuff. And it's all tactical. It's what drives me insane. There's never a strategy behind what they do. And so what we do differently is we have a strategy. And so we have about a three, four step process that we work with clients. And I won't work with anybody that doesn't implement this particular strategy. And the first thing we do, the first thing, and this goes back to what your whole podcast is all about, is we do data and research and analytics and psychological profiles of their customer base. Because we do this with voters before candidate runs. When a candidate decides to run for office, I say, what are the 10 things you're really passionate about? And then I go research, and then I go run a poll in the district, about those voters and what they care about. And I find the three things where they have the strongest alignment. And then I build the entire campaign around that, because that's what the voters want to talk about. That's what they care about. And my candidate, he also or she also believes in those issues. She just doesn't have a priority. So I find alignment. And that's what we do for businesses. We go out we have a partnership with the, the largest data collection agency in the, in the country, and we have put together sort of a 50, 60-page psychological driver, uh, platform-focused research report on their client base, and it'll tell them everything they need to know about what their client candidate, I mean candidates, what their clients, what their customers think, what they feel, what drives decisions. And then we build a plan to build connections, to build the relationship with the customer, Look, you know this. It, what drives me nuts is there are ten million people, right? No, ten million, some billion, basically, with their phones in front of their face right now, and your your company is trying to compete in ad space with that. If the customer doesn't have a connection with you you are throwing all your money away. When businesses come to us and they say, well, we just can't figure this thing out. We've run a bunch of Facebook ads and we got our SEO. And I go, good Lord, it's all tactical. You have no plan. You're not trying to build authentic relationships. You're not trying to connect with them in a genuine way that makes them loyal to you. And I get this in politics because everything we do is based on the three R's. It's reputation. That's status, that's how you build you know, your credibility. It's relationships, which is the fundamental key of your strategy, and then it's referral. And I've built my own companies on the three R's and I've never run an ad, never run an ad on, from my marketing agency, ever. And we've built it from $100,000 less than four years ago to a $22 million business on the three R's. And so what we try to do is take that for companies and apply it. To build authentic personal relationships so that they meet their customers for where they are, not for what the company wants to talk about. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, totally. So let me ask you this Are the principles of marketing really just timeless, or do they kind of transform along
1: with a certain vehicle that you're using to get the information out there? It's a really good question. I think everybody wants human connection, and we're in a world right now that doesn't have that. And it's really an outlier strategy. Now it used to not be, but it is now. So again, I, everybody is like, what platforms are you on? Well, I'm content agnostic or I'm platform agnostic. I go, I build content around how do I make a connection with my clients or my, the, my clients customers? And so I'll give you an example, and this is not a client of mine, but um, there is a, I have a weird disease, that it's incurable, and I have a weird diet in order to deal with my disease. And one of the things I can't eat anymore is peanut butter, but I can eat pecan butter, which is strange, and you're like, there is such a thing? And yes, there is. <laughs> and, and over the last year, I have eaten, I've ordered pecan butter off Amazon from a bunch of different companies. By the way, pecan butter is insanely good. It is like insanely good. So, But anyway, so I ordered it a couple months ago from this company in Louisiana called Gidry's organic pecan butter and when the box came in with the pecan butter there was a handwritten note and the handwritten note said we take such pride in our product but i want you to know that my dad wanted to let to tell you that you should put this pecan butter on some vanilla ice cream and it'll light your world on fire and i thought how brilliant is this first of all i will never buy pecan butter from another company That was like the sweetest, kindest, like, I thought, I'm thinking in my head that there's this dad in Louisiana, like, you got to put some damn pecan butter on the vanilla ice cream. And I can do this, I can do the accent because I'm from Alabama, but like, (laughs) I just love that story. And so what did I do? I wrote an article about it in Medium and posted it. And the family has all reached out to me. And they've promoted it everywhere. They've sold hundreds more of the jars of pecan butter. That did not cost them a dime to market that way. It didn't cost them a dime. They actually built a connection with me, the customer. Now, they were to take their marketing dollars and then use on platforms and, and actually remarket to me, that would make sure that those people are always in my brain. So I would be like seeing them and they put out a video. How much more likely am I to watch a video that they put out than I was six months ago when I didn't care?
0: Yeah, so it's all really about that. People will forget what you say to them or whatever, but people never forget how you make them feel type of a
1: situation there, right? And that's the way everybody's marketing should be right now. That's how it should look. But the funny thing is, is if the customer or the client sees you as the commodity, you're dead. And everybody, the customer is in charge of this economy right now. And you cannot be a commodity in their eyes. They must be a raving fan of you. How do you create your marketing and your entire business to do that? That's what we've built our model on. And I'll tell you this the way in my own company in the rate is basically the roadmap for what we wrote in the book, which was I wanted to expose the lies that marketers are telling. Because here's what marketers do to business owners: they literally say, "You got to run some Facebook ads. We're going to do this. Oh, we're going to do we're going to do a shoot. You're going to listen. You got to spend twenty five thousand dollars or fifty thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars, and you know, and they have no idea if it'll work or not. But here's the deal: the marketer gets paid regardless of whether it works for the business, and that doesn't work for business owners. And so, I really wanted to expose the way that business owners are being lied to, and then try to reverse the game to show business owners what they can do to take back the power and actually win at the game of marketing. And by the way, that's a reflection of what we're talking about right now. I'm trying to authentically be honest with them, show them what to do, and build a relationship even though I may not know them so that I am a more trusted person in their eyes. And I like that. I want to be a more trusted person. That's the whole point.
0: Right. So that's the whole thing for me is I see all these people, and you know this better than I do, man, I've I don't know if there's ever been a time where there's been more quote unquote marketers that are out there and a lot of them pitch me just with the show and stuff and I'll be honest with you I am not a marketer like that is not who I am I'm come from a door to door sales background like I am a salesman a closer and now I'm a podcaster a networker like all those things I am not a marketer so when I was starting to examine I, I'm a pretty observant person though and I was starting to examine like okay some of you are completely full of crap and some of you are actually good how do I tell the difference? And the biggest thing that I kept, when I'm like zooming out the blimp view of the football field, I was starting to notice that the people who were actually good at marketing and getting consistently good results were the people who understand the principles behind marketing and don't just understand a certain platform and how it works. Which is uh, why I asked you that, and what which is why your your answer was was perfect and exactly what I was looking for. Because a lot of people will just learn how to build out an ad in their Facebook account, and then they're like, "Okay, I'm a marketer now," and it's like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa!" But you just learned how to build out an ad. Like, I can do that. Like, I I don't need somebody. I don't, I don't need to pay anybody to do something that I can do. And it doesn't seem like you're doing anything that. I can't do. So show me what that is. And then we can have a conversation. The people that I did have those conversations with, they were like, look, this is what it looks like. Writing compelling copy, that's more important. Or putting this message in front of the right audience, that's more important. Or like figuring out like the strategy beforehand, that's more important. And those are the people that I've seen across the board as a common denominator that have that certain success. I want to go touch on something really quick that you were, were talking about during that. You gave those three R's, reputation, relationships, and referrals. Is that something that you kind of did in your own businesses that you observed through the, working, the work that you had done? Or was that something that you picked up from somebody that you implemented? Where did that come from?
1: It comes from how we market political campaigns. And then I just said, I've got to build my business. Here's the thing. We don't have any debt in this company, in, my, in either one of my marketing companies. How do I do this in a way that builds it safely and securely and it sustains And by the way, I'm not talking about my business. I'm talking about everybody has a business that's listening to this right now. And it is literally based on the three R's and everything I do. So my reputation, that is, if I say something, I got to keep my word. That is my reputation. When I keep my word, that person has a stronger bond with me, a stronger connection with me, that company that those leaders of those companies or those clients do.
0: And real quick before we move on to the next one, on the reputation part, can you tell us about a time, if there is a time where you may have turned down a sizable amount of money or a large contract or something like that, like turned down immediate short-term benefits for the sake of holding a good reputation long-term?
1: I do it every day. (laughs) And I'll tell you why. Because business owners don't want to build things. A lot of business owners don't want to build it the right way. They literally come to me and they say... Look, we don't want to, you know. I make every one of our clients has to undergo this research data analytic psychological profile for their clients, for their customers. Everybody. Then, once that happens, then we're going to build out a strategic plan for them. And then once we have the strategic plan, then we're going to spend the first month spending a small amount of money, a very small amount of money, testing messages of what we found in the research, finding out what messages are hitting and what messages aren't hitting. And then we're going to figure out, so we're going to eliminate as much uncertainty as possible. And then we're gonna start doing investments. And the first investments go to their current customer base because they're gonna, we want them to repurchase anyway, it's the most important customer you have, that's the referral. And then once we've done that, it's three or four months of testing and honing and testing and honing and testing and honing, we go after new customers. And so how many business owners come to me and say, I don't want to do that right now. I've got a hundred grand. I need to spend it on a TV ad because we've got to get 742 leads for selling a car. Cause we've done car work. And I go, no, 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 we're going to back up and we're going to do this the right way. Cause I'm in it to build a long-term relationship. If the client wins, I'm going to make a lot of money. If the client becomes successful and has a sustainable business that I help grow and grow and grow and grow, I'm going to make a lot of money and be very successful. If I was to say, yeah, we'll take your $100,000, let us run the ad, and then I have no strategy behind it, I really don't have research behind it, I'm literally guessing, I may hit 25% of the time, but the 75% is, um, is going to affect my reputation.
0: Yeah. I wanted to ask about that just to throw it out there to get people to understand like this is the foundation, right? Like this is the cornerstone. If you do not have this, then the other things don't come. And sometimes that means turning down. And it's hard sometimes, especially if you're sitting there wondering how you're going to make payroll or if your business is about to go under, something like that is happening. And then you get this offer and somebody's like, look, I'll give you a hundred grand. I just want this done. But you know that it's going to sacrifice the integrity of your business business and what you said you were going to deliver for your customers, but how many people would just be like, you know what, let's do it because we need the money instead of putting the reputation of themselves and their business at the number one priority spot. So I wanted to kind of hammer that home before we moved on to the next one, but now go ahead, reputations first, then move on to relationships.
1: Yeah. You build the reputation and then you establish that relationship that's strong, that you're not the commodity in your client or your consumer's head, that you're the relationship. And then those people you build a referral program with those people that they refer you out to the people that would benefit from your services. And that is literally how we built this business. We've 10xed it in four years. We've doubled every year and then we've 10x it over time. So my point is is that if you can follow that formula, and there's one other aspect of it. I have the three R's, but there's one other. It's called speed. And this is where we get into um, politics. This we just had the elections this past November. And in those elections, I had 127 clients on my political marketing side of business. We won 104 out of 127 races. But every one of those 127 races had a deadline. And that deadline meant I was either out of business or staying in business with that client. And how fast do you think I move, innovate, test, do all the things that help the candidate? Not me, the candidate, because if the candidate wins, I build long-term success personally. I get to brag about my wins. I get to take the ads that we made that resonated with voters and converted them, and I get to put them up for awards, or I use them for promotional purposes when I'm giving speeches or whatever it is I want to do. Everything predicates on the candidate winning, and that's the model we have on our business marketing side as well. because. I don't know how else to think. And in the book, it's the seven lies digital marketers sell. The first lie, it's kind of, it doesn't seem like it would, this is where the book goes. The first lie is a marketing company that requires you to sign a long-term contract. Now, let me tell you how that affects the three R's and everything else. In over 20 years of political marketing, I've never had a contract ever that wasn't month to month. Every contract I've ever signed in my entire career, business and political, is month to month. That's the commitment I have to that company. If I'm not serving them every single month, I get fired. And so, I am again, how fast do you think I'm going to work? How much am I going to innovate? How many times do my teams, we go and have innovation meetings for my clients, or we decide we want to test messages, or we want to, that's why we have to do it the proper way because I don't have a choice. If I can't fail, I'm not going to. Do I win every time? No, but man, do I eliminate a, a lot of risk, a lot of uncertainty by doing it that way.
0: Right, So, and the, and the book, by the way, is called Fire Them Now, Seven Lies That Marketers Will Try to Sell You. On that first one, the very first one in the book, what comes out of that? Meaning like if I'm a business owner and I'm dealing with an agency and they want me to sign a six month contract, is that an immediate like nope next or is that flexible in any way?
1: My thing is that you are now put the thing that you've invested your money in, the people that, whose lives depend on it, the business, is now being put in jeopardy. Because let me tell you something, the guaranteed six-month contract of a marketing firm guarantees the marketing firm gets paid whether you grow or not. And my thing is the BS way of going about it. It is about the business growing, not the marketer growing. The marketer should grow with you, not despite you.
0: So if somebody has a month-to-month, is it typically going to be a certain percentage and an increase based on revenue that the marketer brings into the company?
1: It could be a host of, of ways you want to structure that. It's, it's what the business owner is comfortable with, right? So, I mean, it just depends. But my whole point is the mindset. Like every business owner, 100 CEOs from Fortune 500s to very small business less than a million dollars. They all came back to me and said the same thing that they fired a, they literally, everyone was like, Oh, we fired so many marketing agencies. And I'm like, why? And they're like, Oh, and one of these was, Oh, we hired these guys. We had to sign an 18 month contract. And after nine months, we realized we were not growing. They were doing a terrible job, but I was locked into this thing for another nine months. I had to pay these people out. And I'm like, that's outrageous. Do you know how unethical that is? And so my point is you got to negotiate what you got to negotiate, but the business should come back to the marketing firm and go, no, you're going month to month and we're not going to hire you. And I guarantee you half of them will bend. Half of them will ball.
0: Yeah. But there's so much stuff that we can cover on this particular topic, but I, I kind of want to go a little bit Further back in this story, and talk about some of the things that you learned being a part of these high level uh, political persuasion campaigns. Because that's really what it is, right? Is persuading an entire group of people to know, like, and trust an individual that they may have never met or might have some uh, looming qualities about them that make people dislike them or distrust them for some reason. And it's basically just an, uh, an entire persuasion campaign. Um, what were some things that you learned were and that you've now been able? to take into your business or your life or whatever it is during those times working on those high-level political campaigns?
1: Yeah, I mean, it goes back to the principles we're talking about. I think you've got to be unique and differentiated in the marketplace. So these candidates, we always had to position them to be unique and differentiated, right? Because that's going to drive the brains of the voter or the customer to be like, wait, I want to know more about that, right? So you've got to figure out a way for your business owner or your candidate to be unique and differentiated in the marketplace, Sometimes that's my party, but usually there's a primary in our, you know, in our electoral system. And so how are you unique and differentiated in that primary? Are you a businessman or have you run for office before? So you have a certain amount of status or have you, are you a, you know, a war vet? Like war vets, think about that. So many war vets have run for office. They are unique and differentiated in that marketplace, if that makes sense. And so the other is confidence. People want to buy into confidence. It's very important. It's not fake confidence because people read through that. And look, I will tell you this, the best politicians I've worked with have all been vulnerable and empathetic. And I think that as a business owner or as a podcaster or as a marketer, if you sit there and say, hey, here's where I've struggled, here's where I fixed, here's how i and then you care more about your clients, your friends, your family, your voters, more than they ever thought possible, you're going to win them over every time
0: yeah what about in like some of the different copy uh, pieces of copy that, that you had written for some of these campaigns, whether it be spoken on a radio ad or a television commercial or written on Facebook or a magazine spread or whatever it might be? Were there any like techniques or any cognitive biases that you really tried to point out with your copy? and how important is that?
1: Yeah, listen, I can tell you about building relationships and all this all day long. And you know, the Google has a stat out there that I read recently that seven in 10 buyers in the B2B space had watched a video sometime in the buying process. But if your video is crap, then it doesn't really matter. So the content, like what you're asking is really important. The copy is, and this is why we go back and research the customer so much, just like we research the voter. So when we run those ads, we know exactly the pain points. We know exactly the motivating points of those voters where we're gonna run those ads to. And now you can hyper-target through the digital platforms. And one example of this, Travis, is negative ads. Like everybody hates negative ads. I get it. I've written and a ton of copy on negative ads. And man, sometimes I'm literally taking a baseball bat in someone's head in a negative ad. And they can be kind of fun sometimes from my perspective. But <laughs> the reason we do them is because they work they drive people from a deep psychological impact and they take action based on those. And so, you know, if I'm to apply this on the business front, some of the greatest businesses of all time have used a comparative ad strategy. Now they don't do it like politics where they would offend half. (laughs) But but (laughs) they do it in a way that offends no one, but brands their competition as inferior as dumb as whatever it is you want to brand it doesn't offend the customer base at all but completely brands their competitor and so like apple did this with the mac versus the pc which is if you remember those ads from about 10 12 years ago which was the very cool mac guy. he's young he's hip he's you know he's kind of funny and then the, the pc guy was this old guy with big square glasses and fat He stumbles all over and you're laughing right now. This is the point. Like that ad campaign, Steve Jobs put together as a strategy 368 of those ads, and he only ran 68 of them because he was so, so hyper-focused in tapping into that emotional connection like we do in politics. None of those ads offended anyone. But what it did was his whole point was he was going to launch the iPhone and he wanted to connect with the younger generation and he wanted to build the Mac market a little bit stronger because it was very poor at that point moment. And when the, the Mac versus the PC and the iPhone that came together, it exploded that company. That's when it all happened for them. They still own the younger market. Right now, T-Mobile is, and John Legere, the CEO, is doing this like crazy against Verizon and AT&T, savaging them on their customer service, on their technology, on how their long-term contracts, and how much their customers have to pay each month. He is crushing them, and that led to – they're in the, you know, about to do a merger with Sprint, and it's going to make them one of the you – know, I think it's the largest cell carrier in the country. And it all came from a comparative ad strategy. And that resonates with me because I wrote so many of these ads, right? And so you are a business owner. This is great because what happens is you run these ads. And in politics, usually the process of a response, it takes like four to 12 days because we know those ads are coming. So we already have the response in the can. We're ready for it. In business. People are so caught off guard when they have a comparative ad run against them. And the typical timeline is six to 12 months for a response. And sometimes their response is so poor because they don't know how to do it. They don't know how to respond. They don't know how to be effective that they back themselves into a bigger corner. All the while the business that ran the first comparative ad is, is moving forward and growing. Literally is the, I write all about it. it's like the most important chapter in my book, and I, I cannot tell you, like it is the one thing that if businesses did this, it would give them explosive growth. But people are so scared to be authentic, to be cutting edge, and to meet their customers where they're at right now, Because we are in a scary society right now where the mob's going to come after you if you do anything that's not generic. And that drives me nuts.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is the kind of stuff that I really like talking about, um, especially at the moment. I'm, I'm like I told you before, I'm not a marketer, but I'm trying to learn a lot more about it. And i um, been listening to Robert Cialdini's book, Influence, currently, and just hearing some of these different strategies and tactics. That's, that's why I wanted to ask about one specifically. So I'm glad you brought up a very good, practical, specific example of that, because that's the kind of stuff that really just, that's the kind of stuff that just makes sense to me, but is done... I feel like the effectiveness is so like underplayed that people just don't use them first for whatever reason. They're so focused on making the video quality awesome or the photography awesome in their ad or like the graphic design is on point that they just fail to make the right copy and like pinpoint the right emotion on the person that's actually trying to buy their product. And uh, it's crazy to me to watch from, like I said, a bird's eye view as an outside perspective on the marketing space. And then another book too that I recommend uh, for anybody listening to this right now that wants to get into this kind of stuff a little bit more tactically is Win Bigly
1: by Scott Adams. Have you heard of that book, Philip? No, but I have a company called Win Big Media. So I should probably Read it.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So Scott Adams, the creator of Dilbert, wrote this book and it was a book on persuasion about how Trump won the presidency. So it seems like it'd be right up, right up your alley just to, well, you know,
1: there's another company that encompasses everything we're talking about right now. And really I call it I just wrote a piece a couple of weeks ago. It's on my medium page, but it's um it's called the Chick-fil-A Economy. And Chick-fil-A is doing all of the things we're talking about, and they are growing. And I think they're like the third or fourth largest fast food company in the country right now. And one of the things is they have a total commitment to not only charities, but they take every, they're not open on Sundays because their whole mission, their whole culture is that their employees need a day of rest and reflection. Now, people may not always agree with that. And Wall Street definitely doesn't want them to be closed on Sundays. But the fact is, is that that was a commitment the owners made to their employees, And so it was a commitment to helping others. So they built a great company. The authenticity of that company based on what I just told you, but also the quality of their product. We just had a party at my house a couple of weeks ago. We had charcuterie and cheese spreads. We had fruits and desserts and everything. And my wife, at the last minute, goes out and buys 100 chicken nuggets from Chick-fil-A. Within one hour of the party, those were all gone and nothing else had been touched. That is a great (laughs) right there. And then they market to emotion, like exactly what we just talked about. Chick-fil-A for 20 years has been running these TV ads where the villain, the bad person in in the whole campaign is themselves. What they do is they put a cow on their commercials that says, eat more chicken. Don't kill me. They turn the comparative ad and they made them the bad guy. How brilliant is that? And that is a, listen, think about this. If you're a business owner, how many marketing campaigns do you really want to run in your, the life cycle of your business? Because Chick-fil-A has run one in 20 years. <laughs> right. One. And yeah. if you're going to invest money and spend money and make mistakes and do it with tactics and all of those things, then that means you're going to have another one in your holstered at some point down the line because that one eventually won't work. And Chick-fil-A ultimately gets this. So I've dubbed it sort of the Chick-fil-A economy and I, and I believe that's it. They build – loyal, raving fans. And they're only open six days a week. It's crazy. They're not even open seven days.
0: You're making me want to go get some Chick-fil-A after See, I hang up. with what a film.
1: great product. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> so with, with everything we talked about so far, Philip, with the different strategies, tactics, the practical things, the philosophies, all that kind of stuff, what do you think, in your opinion, what are the three most important skills that business people need to develop more if they want a successful business.
1: We've talked about them a lot, but I think the vulnerability and empathy, for sure. Building connections, for sure. And then being able to implement, probably third. Because if you just have a good relationship, if you just are vulnerable and empathetic, you may have some nice friends, but that's not going to do anything for your business. You've got to be able to implement those things. You've got to execute and you got to do it properly. And so for me, I probably look at those things more than anything else. Yeah,
0: I love that last one, the implementation thing. That's one big thing that I've been noticing lately is so many people are, they just never take action. They're always studying and always being so careful and planning and learning, and but they, they never actually do anything. Can you talk about... Into how to get better at that. Because I think that's why a lot of people don't do it because there's not really, I mean, obviously, marketing, you can get better at marketing by doing a lot of it. Or, you know what I mean? Like, how do you get better at doing?
1: (laughs) So, one of my mentors, a guy named Keith Cunningham, who is an extraordinary businessman and teacher out of Austin, Texas, he calls it the kick in the can strategy. If you want to kick a can two miles and you're trying to kick it two miles down the road, very rarely. Are you going to kick that can and it's going to go two miles down the road? It is kick it 10 feet, go up to it, kick it 10 feet. So you chip away, you chip away, you chip away. You learn what works and what doesn't. It's the same principle behind how we help companies. We're going to test, we're going to test, we're going to test, we're going to hone, 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 make it better, 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 better. And before we spend a lot, a ton of money, we're going to figure out what works and what doesn't. And I think that's the, the key to this thing. You've got to implement, but you've got to be able to you're not going to kick that can two miles. Like everybody thinks of the next Zuckerberg or whatever. That doesn't exist. It really doesn't. It does they're called unicorns for a region. So it is kicking the can day by day, studying, implementing, testing, and refining. And you know, I have sort of a a little strategy in my own business where I just want to tweak one or two things per week in my company. Just tweak them. It could be a script. It could be the way that our proposals look, it could be our accounting system. I don't know what it is, but it's tweaking and making some two or three things better each week. And if I do that over a year, you know, you're you talking 500 tweaks a year, maybe 700. And over a 10 year period, you're talking about seven, five to 7,000 better you know, improvements for your company. Not talking about big things, I'm talking about tweaks. And that's ultimately gonna get you where you need to go.
0: Yeah, I think that that's so crucial and really just understanding that doing is part of the learning. For a lot of people that sit back and like to study and like to read books and do all these things before they do something. I think it upsets them that they study so much and then they do it and it doesn't work. They're kind of just like, oh man, I'm spinning my wheels. Why did I spend $5,000 on this intensive coaching mentoring program? And then I did what they told me to do and it doesn't work. And they think that the doing part is separate from the learning part. And in my experience, and it sounds like from your experience as well, Philip, that doing is part of the learning, like doing and then adjusting and then doing and then adjusting.
1: Yeah, one of of my marketing mentors, a guy named David Meerman Scott, kind of famous guy in the marketing world. And he interviewed in the book, uh, in my book, and he's just been a good buddy. And he says he has this program that he'll sell because he teaches at Tony Robbins business events. And he said, man, he put so much time. So he invested hundreds of thousands of hours of dollars put this program together and he knows that if business owners just followed this it would be incredibly helpful and, and grow their business and he said ninety percent of people that buy this program and he can measure it because he knows like it's an online program how many people are watching and, and you know taking the whole class ninety percent of it buy the program and then don't take it. it that blows my mind wow that's a huge number and that should tell you what how easy it is to, not easy to win a business, but how important implementation is. And if you do it and you do it the right way, you can absolutely have success in business.
0: What, Like why, why do you think, why do you think that is? Do you have any guesses as to why that's such a huge?
1: I think there are a million, but one of them is we are a totally distracted society. And one of the things that you know I do every day is I try to study a little every day, but it's all about how I can apply those things. And again, go back to the two or three things to tweak. And I'm very focused on it. And if I'm not focused, if I decide to check tw- – I mean, yeah, we all do this, by the way. I do too, man. It's like I check Twitter, and it's like, hold on. What did Trump do? And then I open the article, and then all of a sudden it's a 10-minute article, and then I, I just can't – you know, and I forward it to somebody. And then all of a sudden I go, wait a second. I just wasted 20 minutes of my day. Like I can't get that back. And I just think people are unfocused.
0: Yeah, yeah I think to that – That's totally true. And I think people like to live under the guise that they're taking action. So they just buy the next course, do the next thing, and it makes them feel like they're progressing toward a goal, but they don't ever actually do the things that they're paying for. It's almost like an easy way out, right? Like If you have the option of doing eight hours worth of work on, let's say, a book or taking or like going to a seminar and buying a course on book writing that costs two thousand dollars you'll trick yourself into thinking that the latter is the more important decision and that the work is less important because somehow it makes you feel better about it and it's way easier just to go buy the seminar than it would be to sit down and do eight hours of focused work and writing
1: and listen I, I will tell you this is, this goes back to our earlier conversation I will tell a business owner, if you're a tire kicker, that's what I call these people, you know, they kick the tires and they don't really do anything. If you're a tire kicker, don't work with me and I, and I won't work with you. And that goes back to like where I put the stand down. Like if you want to do things the right way and you want to implement this thing and we're going to grow together where I'm all in, I mean, I am all in, but if you're a talker, I can't tell you how many business owners and these are the early mistakes I made in my business. Oh my God. We would just try to help people and we were the ones begging them to do it. Like to just market their own business, not to make money. Like we've got to get this up. You've already paid for it. Like it just drives me insane. And I just finally said, look, I have sustainable business. I don't need to sacrifice my time, my energy, or what I believe is right. And let's go, I want to be partners and be in alignment with business owners. I don't want to be fighting them to do the right thing. And so that's, that's it it's really important.
0: So we've talked a lot about relationships, networking, connecting, just kind of sprinkled into this conversation, just because you can't help but talk about this kind of stuff when we're talking about everything else that we've been talking about. But I do want to ask this one more directed question on the topic because it's a question I ask every single guest that comes on the show. So Philip, do you believe that who you know or what you know is more important and why?
1: I think it is who you know and the what you know reinforces the who you know. Uh, Tony Robbins has a great quote, proximity is power. And when I went to a seminar of his and I heard that and I realized that, you know, my circle was not very, very formidable. And I committed to changing that. And so for years now I have, and it has nothing to do with trying to be transactional. It has everything to do with how do I want to elevate my game? Who do I want to surround myself with? Do I want to surround myself with people that aren't going to help me grow? And I don't mean business wise, just personally. My backstory is I have a this. I mentioned this earlier, I have this incurable disease. And for five years of this incurable disease, I didn't do anything about it. I literally just stuck my head in the sand. And I didn't just stick my head in the sand with my health. I did it with my marriage I did it with my fatherhood. I did it with my employees. I was going down a really dark hole and I was a mess. And I'm grateful. Like I went to a Tony seminar and he pulled me out of it. And what I realized was the, the disease that I have is the greatest gift I've ever been given. And there's some long-term crappy consequences to, <laughs> that are going to come for me. But the point is, is that if you gave me the chance to take back that disease when I was diagnosed six years ago, I would take the disease every time because it really hyper-focused the fact that I had to have better connections in my life, that I had to have better connections with my daughter and my wife first, and that I had to break out of horrible patterns, transactional patterns, and I had to be more empathetic and vulnerable, and that I had to address my disease, and I couldn't just hide from it anymore and just listen to what the doctors told me. And that really is, for me, If sorry, this is a long way of answering the simple question, but that's where it comes from. Is that I just want to be around people that elevate my life because those people give me juice and energy, and I just want to be around those kind of people.
0: Yeah, that's what I always find the answer to come back to is, look, what nobody can deny that what you know is important, right? Like it is, you have to be competent. But do I think that you have to be the best? No, I don't because. I think that the relationships put you in those opportunities to become better and better at what you do. And it's the relationships that allow you to be in those situations. And like you said, they're what gives you energy. They're what gives you juice. If they're the right relationships, if they're the wrong one, then they drain energy and they take away from you. But that's why you constantly have to be auditing the circle of people that you allow into your life, that you allow to affect your mood on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis. So you brought up this disease that you were diagnosed in 2000. 12. You brought that up a couple of times so far. I feel like I would be doing an injustice to everybody else listening if I didn't ask a couple follow-up questions on that. Walk me through that discovery process. I'm sure that couldn't have been an easy period of time and the number one lesson that you've learned if you haven't already said it.
1: Yeah, I was diagnosed in 2012 with a rare esophageal disease called achalasia. And basically the nerves and the muscles in my esophagus are dead. I've had, uh, it affects about one out of 100,000 people. Typically, those people are in their 70s and 80s. I was diagnosed six years ago at 40, at 38. Uh, I've had 15 minor surgeries and three major surgeries on my esophagus. Basically, my esophagus has been shredded like an upside down pom-pom. That's the best way to describe it. And after the last major surgery where they basically pulled my esoph- they came in through my stomach, pulled my esophagus down, cut 25% of my stomach out, wrapped that around my esophagus and then stapled it all together to hold it together. And I went to the doctor about a year after that surgery. This was in 2007, 16. And he said, um, you know, you really, we may not have another surgery. If this, this wrap that we have will come undone one day. And when it comes undone, you know, we're going to have to remove your esophagus. You're going to be a feeding tube the rest of your life. And by the way, you're also very susceptible to cancer, esophageal cancers and all that stuff. You know, and by the way, the medication you're taking has long-term dementia effects, but it works in the short run. So take your medicine and wait for the inevitable and we'll see in six months. That's literally what he said. He said, the disease is what it is. Like he pat me back. And I didn't even Google this incurable disease for basically five years or the first four years I had it. Think about that. That's how paralyzed with fear I was living. And so I said, I got to do something about this. Like I'm an entrepreneur. I got to figure this thing out. So within six months, I figured out how to get my diet in order so that I could get off all my medications. And so I have, I don't have to take my medications anymore. That will give me dementia. And then I was uh, with Peter Diamandis at the Abundance 360 conference in 2017. And he came on stage and he said, I want everybody to take out their notebook and he goes, write down a moonshot. And a moonshot is something that's impossible that you think you can make possible. And so I wrote in the notebook, I'll find a cure to this disease in five years. Cure with no disease. And it's a rare disease, so obviously there's no research behind it. So I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> so, you know, this is, this is the ignorant. The ignorance is bliss, especially for an entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah. I ended up writing an article in Ink magazine about the disease and about my moonshot. And, you know, I wanted to be held accountable. Well, someone read it, it got passed along. Eventually, a doctor and I connected, and the doctor started working with me. Peter Diamandis put a couple doctors around me. I formed a team. And this long story that I'll conclude it right now, which is after a year and a half of working with these doctors, a week and a half ago, I got in the news that the FDA and Johns Hopkins have approved... The first ever one-man clinical trial where they will extract stem cells out of my calf muscle they'll grow them for four months and then they will inject them into my esophagus to try to reconnect the muscles and regenerate the nerves that are dead yeah wow. never happened and we'll see what what happens who knows if it works or not but i'm going for it and it all started because i was a mess and part of the reason i wrote the book was because i've been paralyzed with fear I've seen people take you know, advantage of me or that I didn't take action when I needed to. And that was a defining wake-up moment for me that I just basically said, I'm going to be the disruptor in this disease, not the disrupted. So we'll see what happens.
0: Man, that's such an incredible story. I had one or two other things I want to get into, but I think that's a great way to start getting this thing wrapped up. So, Philip, let's go ahead and move into something I like to call the random round. Just a few really quick random questions and quick random answers. You ready? I'm ready. Let's roll. What profession other than your own do you think would be fun to attempt?
1: I think what I've learned over the last years is psychology. And I've learned so much about psychology that I think I probably should have been a psychologist because I just love it so much and understanding how people think and tick and work. But if I was to take throw that away, I'd probably say golf caddy because then I'm still a strategist and I love golf. So there you go.
0: If you could sit on a park bench with someone, past or present, and talk to them for an hour, who would it be and why? Probably
1: my uh, grandmother and grandfather, who I never never had any uh, grandfathers. My grandmother died at 101 two years ago. And I would love, they lived in Washington, D.C. in the 1940s during World War II, and he was in the Navy. And I would love to just sit there with them in that time period and know who they are. How do you
0: like to consume content? Books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts, or videos?
1: One, conversations, because I'm building relationships. Uh, but two, I love podcasts. I'm, I'm an insane podcast. I mean, I, I listen to so many podcasts. It, it probably does affect my relationships with other people, I love it.
0: <laughs> What are a few of your favorites?
1: Well, the diet that I was talking about earlier is uh, from a guy named Stephen Gundry. Dr. Gundry of The Plant Paradox is a book he wrote, and he just has a a podcast out about how to make the diet more feasible, and that's kind of a good one. I really like Mike Dillard's Self-Made Man. I think that's a really powerful one. And then one that I listen to is My Little Girl on the Way to School Every Day is NPR's Wow in the World. It is a great one if you have a young daughter or son to listen to together
0: give us a glimpse of your morning routine.
1: Well, I get up around 4.30. I work out. I come back. I meditate. I'm a transcendental meditation person. And then I'll get ready for work. have breakfast with my family, get into work about seven, and then I study. And I block off two hours every morning to study and learn. What is your go-to pump-up song? I, you know, most good Timberlake songs, Justin Timberlake, but I would probably say Mirrors is a good one for me. From That is a like. solid one, yeah. Good choice, good choice. <laughs> what
0: is something that you are just not very good at? Spreadsheets. I second that, man. Second that. <laughs> I got to have somebody else do that <laughs> stuff for me. <laughs> As we get everything wrapped up here, Philip. what is one place online where we will find you the most?
1: These days, it's probably LinkedIn because it's just longer form, and I can express some of my marketing ideas on LinkedIn, which is just Philip Stutz. And I probably am on Twitter, playing around on Twitter more than anything else. Perfect. Perfect. So if you want to
0: see more from Philip, then head over to Twitter. And what was that handle again? Well, the Twitter
1: handle is just my name, Philip Stutz.
0: Philip Stutz with two L's and two T's over on Twitter. And then also, really quick before we sign off, Philip, I know that you have an audit that you and your company offer completely for free. And uh, I think that's a fantastic way to close this interview up. Can you give us just a quick synopsis of what you guys do for people? Totally, Yeah. I
1: think if you're a business owner out there and you're like, how do I improve my marketing? What am I doing? Right. What can I improve? Uh, we have a five minute free marketing audit it takes five minutes to fill out my team for free. will spend two or three business days uh, pouring over your digital footprint And then we will produce a three to five page report and lay out all the things you're doing right, the things you can improve on. And then as a special bonus, we'll even do a 30-minute consultation call to go over it. And what we've typically found, because we've done hundreds of these at this point, is that the companies that have implemented it, just on what we uh, have recommended, have improved their ROI by 50%.
0: That's fantastic. Look, I've I've done a lot of these types of interviews now and this is one of the best offers that i've ever heard of completely for free um so philip thank you so much for offering that you can go over to philips it,
1: it literally will take my team two to three hours for their business and we do it free it's a, it's a really really good fantastic offer. offer
0: yeah if you're if you're listening to this right now and uh you have a business and you're not really sure what's going on with your marketing then please head over to PhilipStuts.com. Again, that's philip with two L's and Stuts with two Ts.com slash audit and uh, grab that free gift from Philip. Please take advantage of these things like these people come and offer their time and their energy and this time a fantastic offer completely for free. So make sure that you take advantage of these types of things. Philip, thank you so much for coming to the show today, brother. I had a fantastic time chatting with you.
1: Travis, it was a total honor. Thank you so much. Well, that's
0: all for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. You might hear my guests and I talk a lot about masterminds on the show. They are literally what I attribute most of the new quality relationships in my life to. So if this is something that you are interested in at all, which it should be, then hit me up and let's chat to see if you would be a good fit for my mastermind, Build Your Network Alpha just shoot an email over to travis at buildyournetwork.co and let's talk about it. Have a fantastic rest of your day and remember to leave every relationship better than you found it.